0: Good afternoon and welcome to a very special episode of the Promo Kitchen Podcast. Today we are reporting live from the main stage of the South Seas Ballroom at the PPAI Expo in Las Vegas. Wow. I actually had it in my show notes that if you weren't loud enough, I'd have to get you to do it, uh, to do it again. Done. But that was pretty awesome. Nice. Nice. <laughs> So if you are a new listener, the PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $20 billion promotional products business. In 1971, Marty Lott started selling t-shirts from the basement of his parents' home. It was part of a college project, and he wasn't entirely sure where it was going to take him. Fast forward 44 years, and Sanmar is one of the largest suppliers in the U.S., with over 3,500 employees and eight warehouses across the country. Sanmar's reach and influence on this industry is enormous. If we are to understand, truly understand, the success of Sanmar, I think it's important that we take a look back at that college student in 1971. Joanne Lance
1: joined Geiger in 1978. from Vice President of Marketing in 1991 to Executive Vice President of Geiger Group in 2000 and now newly promoted to Chief Operating Officer. Congratulations. Thank you. you. This is what Jean Geiger had to say about Joanne. Few people in our industry, men or women, are more skilled and accomplished than Joanne. She has served as PPAI Board Chair, has won every award there is to win at the national level, including being the youngest person ever inducted into the Hall of Fame. For our firm, she's been a key driver of our growth and our success over the years. Welcome Joanne.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: So, in today's episode, we are going to explore Marty and Joanne's outlook on life and business so we can capture a closer look at two of the most industry's compelling success stories. It brings us great pleasure to welcome Marty Lott and Joanne Lance, both excellent friends, shall we say. So I think it'll get fun here today to the program. Welcome. Thank
3: you. Thanks.
0: So, well, hey, we can applause again if you'd like. So Marty, I'm, I'm gonna start off with the first question for you. As, as I stated in my introduction, Sanmar is a large company. You've, been, a, you've, you've uh, been incredibly successful. You've gone from selling literally no dollars to a lot of dollars. Yet, you are such a nice guy. You're so down to earth. And I want to explore a little bit about what humility means to you and your success as an entrepreneur.
3: That's, so that's interesting because humility um, sort of comes from, we'll take different angles. I believe that bragging doesn't pay off. And so I have heard people brag about, business and they brag to their competitors and then the competitors go oh that's a good idea so maybe I should do that too right so I don't see a lot of value out of bragging and I guess if you're not bragging you become more humble right and then it doesn't really turn me on I think that a lot of people get really excited about bragging I'm one of those yeah I did it I'm good and then life goes on and I sort of Forget about the success and move on. I think
0: what's so interesting, what, what you're saying there, is, is I feel there's a little bit of a disconnect between what we see in the media today. You hear of uh, uh, Dragon's Den and Shark's Tank and uh, people like Mark Cuban, not to single him out, but he's just someone who is loud and boisterous and has got a, uh, an incredible personality. And it almost feels like in today's business climate, that ego, wins and that to be successful you need to shout it from the top of your lungs yet you continue to stay the course and be this really nice guy Uh, that disconnect is interesting to me
3: well okay so you could probably be a nice guy and brag okay okay um i um i think you can be successful and carry your success inside right um the downside of that is that you need to share it with your co-team members and if you don't share then um, they don't feel good necessarily. So we share our successes with our, all of our team members right. and, um, but we just, I don't like
0: bragging. Right. Well, there you go. I, I, I think that's clear. Marty,
1: I, n- I know this is something you wouldn't typically share publicly, but can you share the secret boss story that you shared
3: with us? Oh, that sure. Um, so we've been working for the last two and a half years on a new warehouse management software system. And we implemented it in a brand new warehouse in Phoenix in August. And we didn't tell any of our customers we were opening the warehouse because it was new software. We didn't know if it was gonna work. We didn't know how well it would work and how long it was gonna take to sort of tweak it out. And so I went down and joined a new group of employees and there were 10 of us who were hired that day. I was given an employee number before I got there. Um, I was from a different temp agency than the other people. And um, I went through new employee training for the day. Um, So first I got the introduction and told us what to do if somebody cut their finger off and where the exits were and then how to work the system. And this is a voice-activated warehouse, so we have no paper in the system whatsoever. Everything is, everything's electronic. And um, I had lunch with the people, and I really learned. I learned more in one day than I think I'd learned for the year before. Um, Maria, who was my favorite person at lunch, told me that she had taken a dollar pay cut to come to work at Sandmar because it was a new company in Phoenix, and she could tell by the size of the building it was going to be a large company, and there'd be a lot of opportunities there. So, Maria's now been with us for five months and she's been promoted twice, and um, I assume the next time I go down to Phoenix, she'll probably promote her the third time. Mm -hmm. Um, I just have a lot of respect for Maria. She took a pay cut to get a new job, and then there was Jessica, and you gotta hear about Jessica. Jessica is 22. She told us at lunch she had a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and she was coming to work, and I was like, she's been promoted once already. you take a 22-year-old with two kids, and she's not on welfare, and she's working to support her family, and I've got a lot of respect for that.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Joanne, did, did the, the 1978 Joanne walking through the doors of Geiger ever think she would someday become the chief operating officer?
2: No way. Actually, I hated it when I first started there because it was, you know, my my first, oh gosh, and there's Jean Geiger taking my picture right when I'm going (laughs) to say this. Hi Jean. Um, I really did not like like it when I first started and my intent was to be there for as short a time as possible and try to find a real career in another area. It was just a different world in 1978 than it is today. Um, and you hear a lot of women talk about what was in the past. It's not necessarily important to talk about what the past was. You know, it's more about what you have to overcome. It was a totally different environment.
1: Hmm. So, what would you tell the young Joanne Lance walking into the industry for the first time today? Or what would you tell the young Joanne Lance that walked through those doors in 1978?
2: Well, I don't know what would I tell the young Joanne Lance. I don't know if I would, I'd have to really think about what I would tell myself in 1978 because I think I did the best I could at that time. I think it's more important to talk about what it is like today for the 20-year-olds in 2015 and perhaps the 2016 because you can't relate to what was versus what is today. So if I was speaking to a 20-year-old minority or woman, who is, first of all, women are 65% of the industry practitioners, and I'm sure we haven't seen 65% of the CEOs in this industry are women yet. Um, There are several things I think they need to think about, but for two, one is the, uh, I love this saying, it's called, bring it on, that whatever you're facing, whatever you choose to do, uh, have a bring-it-on mentality. And, you know, lean, more than lean in, be involved, be passionate, be all in. And that's what really gets people's attention is if you are so all in. The second is a, a smile is the best facelift you'll ever have.
1: Mm.
2: And just having a smile and a positive attitude, people will see that, and they'll try to understand more about what you're trying to explain. That's
0: good. Thanks, Joanne. That's a good one. Joanne, I'm curious. I know that we've had several discussions about this idea of work life balance and whether such a thing exists. And I'm actually reminded of that when Marty talks about that young employee that he's got who's 22, who's got two kids, and is working in Marty's warehouse in terms of how it is that she may balance life and, and, uh, and work. But we're not talking about her as much. I, I, I'd be interested in your perspective on that. I think you've had a really interesting perspective on how you make that work between work and home.
2: Well, work-life balance is really important to me, and I don't know if people know or not, but I have five children. Right. In fact, I was uh, chatting with Marty backstage about how we would love to have another child, but that was vetoed at home uh, right now because I think I have time, literally, because my youngest son is in college. And it is possible to have work-like balance. And it's possible, in my opinion, to have it all family, work, and health. Because a lot of people, it's sort of like a pie plate. And we think about what's on your plate. And a lot of individuals, this is a great exercise, by the way, if you take a paper pie plate, and you put on your quarters of your pie, how much time do you spend on your career? How much time do you spend with your family? How much time do you spend with your faith, whatever your faith may be? And how much time do you spend giving back? And take a look at how much time, can you you have that perfect plate in quarters? It's not about, uh, can you have it all? I think it's about, can you do it all? You You can have it all, you just can't do it all, and you have to have help in order to balance
3: your work and
1: your life. Hmm. This is a question for both of you. This, is, this has become such an urgent business. We all live under the tyranny of the urgent that becomes a, a lifestyle for many of us because we're constantly responding to things are getting faster, it's, it's, the speed is incredible. So after, for both of you, after years of working in this high risk, high demand environment where everything is urgent, what advice do you have for staying focused, calm, and centered on the most important things. Marty, you first.
3: Uh, so I've got a philosophy. Um, I rarely, rarely get stressed out. Um, I will spend all of my energy working on what I can do mm. and virtually no energy at all on what I can't do. Right. So you look at the problem, you dissect it, and there's things you can't do, and so just forget them. Okay. Figure out what you can do, spend your time on that, and I. Virtually never get stressed out.
2: Mm. Wow. Oh, you're my rock star.
3: might
0: <laughs> <laughs> too, by the way. <laughs> now, hang on a second. I, I have to press Marty here a little bit. So no stress in the entire 44 years of building the company, not 1973 when there was so, maybe less success at so, the time, and, and there so, was maybe probably you, you, you knew very little at that time.
3: So I've been stressed out twice. Okay. <laughs> and both, all of my employees know both stories. Okay. So do you want the quick version? I, I would love them. absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so somewhere in the early 70s, I sold a 100 dozen Hanes 100% cotton yellow T-shirts. And I bought them from the largest distributor in America, who happened to have been in New York, and I was in Seattle. When they came in, there was some Hanes, there was some Fruit of the Loom, there was 50-50, there was cotton. None of the yellows matched, and I called them up, and I said, look, here's what I ordered, here's what you shipped. And I said, we need to figure this out, and they go, you're COD, we have your money, you have the shirts, the deal's done. And I was livid. Hmm. And so I went home and talked to my wife about it, and we decided if they could be the biggest in the country and treat people so poorly, just think what you could do if you were honest with your customers and say, I don't have it or I've only got the smalls and mediums. So I went into selling blanks because I got stressed out. Then, several years later, um, my oldest son went to college, and he had found out the day he got there that he wanted his lacrosse gear to try out for the team, and lacrosse was really important to him. And so I said, I'm going to the airport tomorrow morning. I will FedEx it to you, and you will have it the next day so you can try out for the team. Now, for those of you who have children, we try to do what we can for our children. So he kept his in an army uh, duffel bag, and I went to FedEx at the airport, and I had a commercial bill of lading, and I, said, and I was on my way to Oakland, and I had to catch my plane, and I go, I need to ship this, and they go, it has to be in a box. And I go, I don't have a box. And they go, it has to be in a box. I said, you have boxes, let's put in one of your boxes. They go, we don't have a box that size. And I said, can I talk to the manager? and they said yes so they brought the manager out and I explained my problem to him and he just sent me away and I was livid I was stressed out because I had made a promise that I couldn't keep so I got my car and I used my car phone because in those days we had car phones not cell phones way back when and I called the office and I said I'm on my way to Oakland I need to find the closest UPS Center to the Oakland Airport and fax them, because we fax things in those days, a bill of lading to Jeremy so I can send his stuff to him. Came up to UPS, I'm in the middle of the parking lot, I stepped out of the cab, a guy in a suit comes out with a white shirt and a tie, and he goes, Mr. Lott, and I said yes. He said, let me take care of that for you. We do nothing with FedEx. We do tens of millions with UPS. So they treated me nicely. So um, if you treat somebody nicely, and you're honest with them, you can make it go up. it. That's amazing. I've been stressed out twice since we
1: started talking <laughs> here. I can't imagine. <laughs> oh, Bobby. So, <laughs> oh, Bobby. So, jo- <laughs> so Joanne, advice, staying focused, calm, centered on the most important things. What advice do you have for us?
2: Um, staying calm, focused on the advice for the most important things. I think it actually is focus on what is most important and focus this is, this is something I learned at a PPA education workshop years ago about whatever, how important is this in seven minutes, seven days, seven years? And after I learned that tip or that piece of advice about how important is it, especially in seven days versus seven years from now, it really changes your thinking about what decisions that you want to make or that you should make. Because it's about what you should be doing, not necessarily what you want to do. So that's been very helpful. Uh, this, the second thing is write it down. Write down what is so important about your goals, or what is it that you want to accomplish, and always go back to what am I thinking about? What am I doing? How does it help me accomplish? How does it help me move ahead to accomplish what I, I'd like to do? And the third is, I'm a runner. I am like. By the way, I came in last yes, yesterday at the PBEF uh, 5K. And it's, it's OK to come in last. I mean, yeah. I was kind of happy I came in last, but I was there. I didn't see you there, Marty, by the way.
3: Yeah. And I don't think
2: I saw you, Mark, and I didn't see you yeah, either, oh, Bobby. No. And so that really helps me be balanced and stay focused. Because if there's something that's really on my mind and I have to process it for a long time, coming in last gives you a lot of time to
0: focus on
1: that.
2: It really does. I am I, proud of it because I, I am
1: there. I'm glad you mentioned the running because I was going to ask as a follow up are there any personal practices? Running is one, Marty. Any, de, 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 we, you don't have stress, so you don't need running, you don't need any of that.
3: Um, I do yoga every morning. Do you really? It's, mm-hmm. it's more stretching, so anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour and a half. But Wow, that's great. I never miss. Okay. I like it. But it has nothing to do with stress. No, it's, yeah. that's great. it's just for muscles, I mean, that, yeah. or tendons or something. 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 Makes me feel good.
0: Good. I have uh, have a question that I'd like to pose to the two of you. Uh, And Joanne, I suppose you could start off with it. After you've retired, what do you want to be remembered for? We're at, let's say we're at the Expo in a hundred years' time. (laughs) We're talking about Joanne Lance and Marty Lott, and all of us have likely moved on. What do you want people to be, how do you want to be remembered at that show?
2: Well, I'm not going to retire. I have absolutely no intention to retire at all. I never even think about retiring. So um, I guess after I'm gone, like not physically able to get to the expo, uh, I probably would like to be remembered in terms of touching and impacting individuals who, uh, for whatever reason, want to accomplish something. trying to help them accomplish their goals, whatever that is. And if someone could say, gee, I have met Joanne, or actually met anyone uh, who in my network of friends that we help them accomplish whatever it is they want to accomplish, I think that would be fantastic. I think the other thing I would like people to to, um, think of is it's important to me to touch an individual or individual's life beyond their life, their child or their grandchild. And we all have the capability, that fourth quarter of giving back, we all have the capability of giving back in such a way that it will touch an individual beyond their children. And that would be really, really cool if that could happen. I'm hoping. I'm working on it.
0: I'm going to jump in and just ask something that really intrigued me in what you said. When you were starting off in the business, you're in your early 20s. There may be some younger people in the audience that are live with us here today or listening on the podcast. Was your view always like that when you're 22? Is, is, is that what you're thinking about? Or are you thinking about where the next kill is and where your next sale is? And you're, uh, uh, um, Have you always been like that? Or was there a point where you shifted from being one way to this way that you're describing yourself right now?
2: Well, we're a product of our experiences. And so what I thought at 22, I made a lot of not so good decisions at 22, uh, personal decisions that really impacted me because what you, a decision you make today, getting back to that seven years, can really impact you for a long ways. So I always, at 22, I actually thought about what did I want to be or where did I want to be when I'm 30, not what did I want to be, where did I want to be at 30 and when I was 25, I was thinking, where do I want to be at 35, and so on. So I've always thought 10 years out, at least 10 years out, for a horizon. Right. And uh, that helped me, because as you experience pain and discomfort, that's how you change as a person. It's the pain and discomfort that really f- form a way to think. It really does. And some, some of it's good, and some of it is very painful. Some of it's difficult. An example? As I, had a, I was a bad, bad marriage. I got married very, very young, and when I, you know, I think after, and, and this happens to a lot of men and women, the person you marry at 20 or 22 or 25 or 30 is not necessarily the person that you're going to, they're not the same person that will be when you're 35. In my case, I changed, and he didn't, and having to go through that experience of being a single mom and having to reinvent your personal life so that you can be happy in life is a very, very difficult thing. And I know there are people here that have gone through that or are thinking about going through that. And you have to make those changes so you can have happiness in your personal life because without that, it's very difficult to be successful or accomplish whatever it is that you're trying to do.
0: Thank you. Marty. After you've retired or expired or however we're describing it, <laughs> how do we want so to be talking be about on it? Be gentle. So, I know, I know.
3: so I will expire before I retire. Um, Me too. I've never. Oh, I know. I liked your answers. Um, and I had sort of I knew this question ahead of time, and I, I liked Joanne's answer better, than I did the answer I came up with. Mm. But um, the answer I honestly came up with was um, I think I'd like to be known for building a culture where. The two most important things were being nice and telling the truth. And it's worked for us, and it's so simple. You learned it in kindergarten, and every one of my employees, I mean, we pounded into them. And if you can't live in that culture, if you're not nice, we fire you. I just don't want people around. Joanne made comments. It's not worth being around people who aren't nice. So that's it, pretty simple.
1: I love it. I think we'd be remiss, we have Uh, Distributors and suppliers in the rooms, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't ask this question about business. We so wanted to keep this about personal things, but for both of you, Joanne, you're sitting across the table from a young distributor starting out in the business. You have, and, and Marty, you're sitting across the table from a young supplier starting out in this business. You have five minutes to share with them a lifetime of experience. What do you say?
2: I would ask them questions. That's the first thing I would do is to share a lifetime of experiences you have to know what it is that that individual really is interested in and how you can pay attention and listen to what they have to say and perhaps there's something along the line that might be helpful but most often they want to talk about where they're at so I don't know if I would say anything I'd, I'd start with questions are, are there
1: key distributor practices that, that you know You know the business you know there are a couple of things that hey, you should keep your eye on the ball with this, and this. What would those be?
2: For, well, key distributor practices is never sell yourself short and uh, value yourself. Value what you do, value your services, because if you're all in, if you bring it on and be all that you are, place a value on what you do. And s- sometimes it's very easy to reduce prices or devalue the ser- what you bring to the table. And so that probably would be the most important thing. The second inter- thing would be to pay attention to the numbers. often we forget to especially on the distributor side, not paying attention to really the cost of doing business, what it takes, the value of your time and that would be something in particular when you're in sales and not the individuals here in this room because these are the, the quali- these the folks here are, are very um, professional and what they are, but if you're first starting out, they may be not necessarily putting a value on their time and not even understanding how much your time really costs. Yeah. yeah. So you know your numbers really, really well.
1: Okay. Marty, Ralph Lauren is famous for, for his startup story where he was delivering his, his first tie out of his Jeep. You were delivering samples out of your truck in those early days. You're sitting across from that young supplier who's doing the same thing, bootstrapping it, trying to make it work. What do you say?
3: So, if they were a supplier, I probably wouldn't say very much, but if they were a distributor, because I don't know if it really helps to help your competition that much, okay? I mean, you don't have to give away your secrets. But if it was a distributor, I think I would talk about, this is a great country we live in, and I'm not necessarily waving a flag here, but it really is. There's a lot of opportunity here. You get out of something what you put into it. And if you work hard, you're gonna get more out of it. And if you don't wanna work, you won't get very much. And so I believe in hard work. Um, It's like not a new concept. Um, I think that you you make your own way and it is rewarding, but you've gotta make it rewarding to you. And you have to set your sights on what's realistic. And I happen to be one of those people who believe that you have to save. You've gotta be a saver. there's a lot of people in this industry, and especially people in 99 and 00 who made a dollar and thought that they actually had made a dollar and they went out and they spent two dollars and they bought a new boat and they were in California and there was a dot-com boom and everything was unbelievably beautiful and then 01 came and there was the bust and oh, I didn't make a dollar, I had to pay taxes. I forgot about the taxes right. and then oh, I leveraged the dollar and it really became a leverage of the 40 cents. And so you gotta save. Okay, I don't care who you are. So. That would be it.
1: Is, for, for both of you, Is there is there what concerns you over the next five years for distributors, Joanne, and what concerns you as a supplier
3: over the next five years, Marty? Oh, me first? Do you want me first? Um, I want to hear what you so, have to say. <laughs> so the next five years, uh, we will have a recession, a very, very high chance of having a recession within the next five years. We traditionally have a recession, call it every seven years. And so... In the next five, there will be some kind of a downturn. We have no idea what's gonna cause it, we have no idea how long it's gonna last, but statistically speaking, there will be a downturn. Um, I'm strategizing over it, you don't stress over it, Um, but I think that it's something that you have to be ready for. It goes back to my saving. If you have a big enough savings account, you will make it through the next recession, and if you're over leveraged, you may not.
0: And, and how did you strategize for the recession that we experienced a few years ago?
3: Um, we were really happy with our strategy. This was my fourth recession and my best recession. Um, I really enjoyed the recession. <laughs> it was, um, we made a commitment that we were going to have zero layoffs. And um, we did that, and I think it worked, worked well for us. Um, and how were you able to pull that off? Uh, we, had our people create work, and we created jobs, and we had no raises, we had no promotions, we had no hirings, but we, and we had attrition. You will always have attrition, so you're gonna lose people anyway. And um, sure, we were overstaffed for a few months, and we paid the bill, but we had very happy people, and happy people are nice people.
0: And I'm also going to make the assumption, Marty, just picking up on something you said before in terms of you being a saver, that if you've saved uh, so effectively over the last several years in your business, that you have that cushion to, weather, uh, uh, to allow you to weather that storm. And I think that that's a really interesting lesson for not only suppliers and distributors in this industry to make sure that they're making those longer-term decisions and they've got that cash in the bank, if at all possible. Because I think had you fired twenty five percent of your workforce, you would have really paid the price for it in twenty ten when things bounced back. Right. So that's uh, it's certainly not easy. It's certainly not easy. So people may be lining up afterwards, Marty, to get your your your, your playbook. But
3: well, the concept. For that. But the concept's about five thousand years old. You're going to have seven years of plenty and right. seven years of lean. I mean, this is not this is not a new thing. Right. Okay. So,
1: it's. Joanne, next five years for distributors. What concerns you?
3: Well, actually, I
2: agree with Marty. I think there is going to be a recession. Maybe we'll have 12 or 24 strong months for the economy, but I, I, I think that we're almost overdue for another recession. And so we think about that often. Um, I don't think change is coming, I think change is here. And not all of us are as aware of the change that has already occurred. Buyers have changed the channels that they come to distributors to purchase. Yes, there's still the traditional channel of face-to-face selling uh, in the traditional mode. However, the shift is rapidly accelerating to e-commerce and technology, and we have to be available or present as a distributor to our buyers and our future buyers in whatever mode that they choose to purchase from us. And that's now. And that has happened quickly, and it will only accelerate. And the tipping point will be the next recession.
1: Hmm. So we've asked the, what concerns you. What excites you most about the next five years in the business? Joanne?
2: Well, what excites me the most are it's the people that are coming and entering into the business. There is a new skill set and a new level of individuals. This, this is about attracting youth to the industry, but not only attracting youth, but experience. There is a totally different skill set to be successful in this industry than what was required even seven years ago. And that is so exciting because there's so much that I don't know and I don't understand that they can help me personally understand. And being a learner, understanding and learning from others is the coolest thing ever. And so that's very exciting.
1: What is that skill set when you say it's different from the way it used to be? What is that skill set? Now? I,
2: I think the skill set has to do with uh, hmm. analytics, how you look and how, how do you look at how your client interacts with you in whatever way that they choose, and trying to understand more and more about all the different ways that a client can touch your organization and or how your organization and how an individual can touch that person.
1: Marty, what excites you the most in the next five years?
3: Um, I think the rate of change is probably what excites me the most. Um, if you look at from my car phone to my cell phone, um, mm. a <laughs> huge difference. Um, I had a... Um, comment made to me, I won't really call it a complaint, but you could call it a complaint about our website and that it didn't have enough features, that people wanted to do more on their own, and she goes, I really don't want to have to call in to do this, and it's something that's really simple. You just make the phone call and say, will you please do it, and we do it. And she goes, I want you to just give me that feature online. That excites me. It's people want to help themselves. This is like, this is good.
0: And I think certainly the best kind of customer is often the person who tells it as it is and complains to you, as opposed to the person that says, out of heck with that, I'm not going to call them, and I'm just going to go and buy from someone else. So even, so, I think that's good, uh, good advice. Joanne, I, I want to uh, ask you a question, something we, we spoke about before. You, you mentioned the statistic, I think, of 65% of the industry are women.
2: Industry practitioners are women. That's, that's what I understand it to be.
0: Industry practitioners, uh, practitioners are women. Uh, I want to explore a disconnect with you and get your views on this. Why do you feel there are so few women on the industry power lists, despite the number of women that we have in the industry?
2: Are you referring to the power of 50?
0: I'm referring to the power of (laughs) 50. All
2: right. Well, I don't, I don't, talk about what I don't understand. I don't understand what it takes to sell magazines. And I suspect, I don't know if this is true or not, and gosh, I I wonder if there's anybody in this room that's going to, this is recorded, so everybody's going to hear what I have to say. They can blame me. Whatever it is that takes to sell magazines, it's not necessarily acknowledging those individuals who are truly successful. And there's a disconnect between what people think are powerful versus who is really successful. And there are as many successful individuals who, for whatever reason, they're not as visible so people don't know who they are. And it's a real honor to be on the Power 50. I've been on the Power 50 since it came out. I ride on Gene Geiger's coattails, and I'm really happy about that. But it means nothing. It means nothing to me. It doesn't mean anything to my family, because they don't know about it. And it means nothing to our clients. But being successful, as Marty says, being honest and telling the truth, that's very meaningful. Having an impact on a business, and being able to help a business survive, survive the recession. That's truly what's important. And there are so many women out there that I don't, I can't figure out why they're not on the Power 50 today. And I can't figure out why they weren't on the Power 50 seven years ago. And I'm really passionate about that. Um, Maybe they're not as visible, because they're back in their, their businesses, running their businesses, and they're so successful. That might be it. Or maybe it's about selling magazines. I'm not sure. Thank you.
0: And to be clear, the spirit of the question is not so much a commentary about the magazine or media outlet. That's not what the purpose of the question's for. It's really more around, Joanne, you've I'll see if I can phrase this correctly. Joanne, you, you've been so out there and so vocal and so passionate, yet there are so many of your female colleagues that are the same, yet they're not getting the same amount of recognition in these traditional environments. And whether it's ASI or PPAI, it doesn't matter. And I think that's what I find interesting because, and I speak from my experience, most of my employee base are women, and they are much smarter than me. Uh, For those people that know me, I'm, I'm partnered with my wife, Catherine, who's in the audience here today. And she is a 100 times smarter than me. That's true. And, and I was, yeah, was. true. Come on, you weren't yeah. supposed to say that. That was my line. Oh.
2: But it's true. And, 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 Catherine,
0: did you oh, pay Joanne? It's true. Uh.
2: Because, Mark, you know, it's funny, when I met you, it was who? Mark Graham, who? And it was, oh, you're Catherine's husband. What do right. you do? And I seriously, I knew Catherine way before I met you. And so, your identity to me, because we're all about how people relate to each other is you're Catherine's husband. I don't know other people relate to you that way, but that was absolutely... In fact, I said that to you. Oh, you're Catherine's husband. What do, what do you do? I, I didn't know.
0: It, there, there Take is this, out the trash, pretty much. Give <laughs> <laughs> her back this, rubs, you know, that kind of thing.
1: To, to this point, there is an odd disconnect because uh, some of the most successful salespeople in the industry are women, and you mentioned yourself, the CEO luncheon. There was one representative... I don't know about under, that. Nope, nope, I don't know nope, anything about that. Sorry. But I can
2: tell you, that there's so many wonderful women. I want to make a shout out to a few women that you may or may not know. For instance, if ever you ever have an opportunity to meet Liz Schmidt at HIT, they're not a competitor viewer so I can say this, she is phenomenal. She had such a significant impact on that business. Nobody knows. Well, not nobody knows who she is, but very few people know who she is. Right. Sharon Willowshell of Poly Concepts. In fact, there's a huge long list of women, and I don't know if they're here or not. But Sharon Willowshell Willisch- of Poly Concepts, you know, leads whatever the companies are. She's a rock star, and she is my idol. I cannot believe how much she does for that organization. The one of the very first women I met years ago that had greatest impact on me. Her name was Anna Lee Ottensten. Anna Lee worked for a distributor in Denmark. And when she was 21 years old, what her job was to be a translator recorder during the Nuremberg trials. And she did that for about a year and a half. And it was so emotional for her to translate the interrogations during the Nuremberg trials, she had to leave and go back in the family business. So this was in the 1940s. When she went back to the family business, it was her and her brother that were supposedly running the business. And on her second day at work, at lunchtime, Anna Lee brought her lunch, went to her lunch, and sat at her brother's desk. And he told her that she had to leave because she couldn't have lunch with him. Well, she did. She left the business altogether, found something else to do. He brought her back. And in the 1950s, in the 1960s, in the 1970s, she was the individual who was going to Asia, going to China, helping them bring products into Denmark. She was absolutely a pioneer in this industry. Nobody knows who Annalie Uttenstein is, but she had a huge impact of this industry in Europe. And there's so many women out there like that if we take the time to get to know them. I'm a little passionate about this. Can you tell? Absolutely, because there's a lot that they can teach us if we only are willing to listen.
1: You, you both, lead excellent organizations. What have, what has been your greatest leadership lessons over the past five or ten years? That's a big one, right? That's that's a big one. We'll just allow an awkward pause here while they think. Just kidding. Largest leadership lessons.
3: Be nice. I like the smile. Is a cheap facelift. I thought it's that the was. I learned, it's the I learned best facelift. I learned. I learned something today. That's good. Um, I think that it's really it's pretty simple. Being nice to people and helping them and letting them help themselves. You know, um, people are very willing. We have a huge number of success stories within Sandmar and people who started there when they were in high school and have very large positions right now, both male and female, and people who have just elevated themselves. But it's just being nice to them. And that's that's it. Then it's all easy.
2: Mine is sort of a variation of what Marty shared. And I was really impressed, Marty, when you spoke about how you were the true undercover boss. You didn't do this for a television show, but you did this more to uh, learn uh, about your business. And it's a variation of that. About six years ago, I started moving my desk uh, about every 18 months to a new area within the the business and fortunately we're a large enough business that I'm able to do that but by first of all moving out of my comfort zone which is uh, was a nice office into uh, what was probably practically a closet in a different part of the organization without windows and all of that I got to really know all of the individuals that I worked alongside for those 18 months and actually got to see you know, personally see what they did every day. But then after 18 months, just picked up and moved to another area, and now I think I'm on my third or fourth area. And that original office that I occupied is empty. Um, I I'd hope I never go back there. And during my travels, the, I went from a desk with drawers to less and less stuff, and now I just have a table where I park my laptop and a couple monitors, and I have almost no paper because I don't want to move it to the next office whenever that move is going to be. And I've really learned so much just by getting to know the people that I'm around. In fact, I would love to move and learn, live around the country and do that. But I don't think my family would be too happy about that. But I would love to be able to do that.
1: That's
3: good.
1: View that's good. margin pressure. So it seems as though that's a big concern heading into uh, possible disintermediation that's possibly already happening depending on distributor, supplier. There seems to be more and more pressure on margins as we move forward. Um, is there anything we can do about that?
2: Who are you asking
1: let's ask Let's start with you, Joanne, because I'm more familiar with it from our <laughs> perspective as a distributor than I am from uh... A suppliers perspective.
2: well I wasn't expecting this question, so this right. is a new question Sorry, for yes. me that's okay uh, it's interesting uh, at the North American Leadership Conference, Gene and I did a presentation uh, and it was uh, It was a presentation around a questionnaire that was sent working with PPAI to uh, distributors that represented the the industry, so small, medium, and large. And we were really surprised to find out that there was virtually no decline in margin in the last five years. That surprised me. Mm. And so you know, when you look at the answers, why is it that people speak about margin pressure? And yet, for whatever reasons, there was, there was, there was I would say, in 65%, 70%, in the majority, more than half of the distributors, they did not experience margin pressure. Okay. But then when we went deeper into where were they purchasing items, what we found is that they were actually going through different channels to maintain their margins and still provide products to their clients. So the margin pressure is still real when they go through the existing channels and for those companies that you work with who can understand that and find ways, find solutions around that, they'll still stay and provide the service that's critical, they'll still stay loyal to those businesses. But for those who are not able to, they'll find other ways to uh, procure their products uh, for their clients.
1: According to the ASI State of the Industry Report, large distributors grew by 16%, small distributors declined by 4%. Does that resonate with you? Do you think that's a a true statement? Do you expect that kind of, uh, can small distributors grow and thrive in this business?
2: Actually, I think that's pretty representative of the change that's occurring in this industry and that I would agree with that statement.
1: Marty, right, dis- disintermediation and consolidation. Can we expect a lot more consolidation uh, in the upcoming couple of years with consolidation?
3: Supply? on What side? Supplier side, distribution. side. Supplier side. Supplier, Supplier side. Both. Side. We'd love to hear your comments on both. So, um, I think it's kind of like running a rabbit farm or something. Um, every time you see that there's a little consolidation, um, there's five new competitors, and I kind of feel like I wake up every morning with a new competitor. Why? Uh, and I. <laughs> Joanne just was at a show in Europe and said there was 300 people selling clothing there, and I had never heard of any of them. We had 300, so,
2: 300 suppliers out of 900 were selling apparel.
3: Yeah, and I don't know any of them. And so um, I always have new competitors, and there's always been pressure on margins because there's competition. And so we live in a very competitive world, and that's not going to change. It's going it's to stay competitive, but I don't think it's any worse today than it was. And... I think that any consolidation you see, there'll be some new rabbits coming up. And does, does, someone,
1: does someone like Amazon concern you?
3: Um, Amazon concerns me from the level that they're becoming very powerful. Um, it's almost like it's a verb now, and so you Amazon something. Uh, you used to Google it, um, and a lot of people do Amazon it because it, they get more out of that. I think they have they have a challenge in that they can't be everything to everyone. Uh, they won two of the, was it the people the Golden Globe awards on Sunday night. They were um, they won a Golden Globe award that was like they were thanking Jeff Bezos. It was like whoa this is this is new. And so how many things can he do? He's got the Washington Post and you know. I think that they will affect our lives in many many ways, but they're not going to. Put people out of—they're not going to put us out of business. Um, they're just going to—they're going to be a new factor.
1: Howard Schultz with Starbucks said that when they started down that path of trying to become everything to everyone, they really lost a lot of their mojo. The Sandmar plan expanding—you're probably not going to answer this question here, but uh, are you, do you have rapid expansions into other? product categories that you think about from time to time?
3: So, we are a growing company, and you have two ways of growing. You can sell more stuff to the same people, or you can sell the same stuff to more people. So, we have two choices, and we'll probably do both. Okay? And if you look at our history, that would probably tell you where the future is. Okay.
1: And one more question. I'm hogging things, Mark. I'm sorry. I always do this to you. I'm sorry. So, Joanne, large district. A similar question to Marty's. Do the online... Distributed online providers concern you greatly?
2: I pay attention. I watch the online providers. I don't know if they concern me greatly, but I'm very curious, and I want to learn more about the online providers. And, uh, but I don't know if they concern me because, you know, I think it's like what Marty said about competition. It changes, and there's a lot of competition out there. So the more that we understand that particular channel, I think the more effective we can adjust our businesses to. I just want to go back in terms of the question about, I just want to clarify. when I, You use the statement that will large distributors continue to grow and small distributors uh, remain flat. I was using the definition of large distributors, much like what the industry uses, the definition of large distributors. So I'm talking about small distributors who have a large book of business. So f- you know, we, this, our industry is made up right now of a lot of very small firms. Uh, the majority of the, of the distributors are smaller firms, that may do two, three, five million dollars of sales. They're the ones that I'm referring to that they will continue continue to grow at a rapid base. Those that are part-time in the industry uh, who have a smaller book of business, I think they will be the most impacted in in the short term by some of the technology changes vis-a-vis the online distributors.
0: Okay, great. I have a question, Marty, for you about Running a family business and in our industry, there are of course many distributors and suppliers that are family based businesses. Can you tell us how you got your sons involved in SanMar, and there's anything that others can learn from your success there?
3: Um, so I think i 've been successful in getting both my boys involved in the business and actually running the business. Um, I believe that you have to start them very young right. and so. I think that we unloaded our first semi together when they were probably five and seven. (laughs) And I took them in on a Saturday and I knew that all the boxes were under 25 pounds and they were capable of helping me. And so we actually unloaded a semi together. And um, I think you gotta start early. Um, And I think you need to treat them like partners as early as you possibly can. And you have to trust them that they won't talk about what you're telling them, that they can keep it as a family secret, so to speak. And so early is better. That's my opinion.
0: I have two things I want to say there. I was speaking with your son, Jeremy, yesterday, and I said to him, I said, Jeremy, I'm going to be interviewing your dad tomorrow. You have to give me some good questions to ask him. And we were talking about how you used to bring him to trade shows, and he would be distributing catalogs to customers at Shows alongside you and what he described and what he said about that he said you know it was really cool quote unquote cool how my dad got me involved in Sanmar. so there you go I thought I'd let you you know that
3: yeah I think he did his first trade show when he was six in New Orleans
0: now Catherine Maddy is ten so maybe we can bring him out on the next (laughs) show you think that's (laughs) Um, but the other thing Marty that you said was the word partners you said the word partners and and it's interesting when you say that because of course they're your sons but you refer to them as your partners. Is that that's thinking the fact that you've separated them from being your sons one of the keys to the the reason this has worked so well for you? I th-
3: every family is different. So, you know, how you've brought your kids up and how you were brought up can be very different. But in our family um, we had more equality and so um bringing them into the business we brought them in as partners okay and
0: so we're looking at the talk yeah. right now and, and you know Can as you a practice the, the promo kitchen podcast we like to give
1: our guests the last word you were going there weren't you absolutely yep. okay absolutely. all right so we like no, to no, give no, our no go ahead no go ahead go guests the last word uh, Joanne, you first. Any final comments or advice you want to give?
2: Well, first of all, I wish you had provided me a cushion so I could actually <laughs> see the clock because I feel so short here. And uh, in, in a way it's sort of, a as you were ch- chatting back and forth and I was trying to be all in but I was drifting a little bit, it really is an interesting parable because not everyone sees everything and it's all a matter of your perspective So if you're five foot one, you may not necessarily Mm. see things from an individual. How tall are you, Bobby?
1: Uh, Five ten and a half.
2: God, you're huge—five ten and a half. And so people see things from a different perspective, and I think that's really important. And it's important for me to understand what you see through your eyes because there was a clock over there, and I never even knew it existed. And that—that's sort of—that's how I live my life. Is that you're going to see something? Because for whatever reason, I don't know it exists, but maybe you can help me see it through your eyes.
3: Very good. Okay, so I didn't know there was a clock either. got 58 <laughs> seconds left. Um, so I, and it's just my personality, and I don't think everybody should do what I do, but I love working, and I really enjoy it, and it is a hobby. Um, and so I think that you should really enjoy what you do. I think it's, it's such a big piece of your life And whether you make a lot of money or you don't make a lot of money is really not the important part. I think what's important is that you enjoy it and you give it your shower time. Um, I think it is really hard to run a business if you try to do everything sitting at a desk. So if you think about it, you have to have other things in your life. I love my grandchildren. I love playing golf and not thinking about business for a few minutes every once in a while. But um, make it your hobby. Well, in
0: closing, this is sad to be closing because it just felt like we were getting started. Um, On behalf of Promo Kitchen, Bobby, myself, this has been an absolute privilege and honor to have attracted you to this uh, program. And, of course, a big, big thanks to PPAI for having us on the main stage here. And I'm making notes in my head as I listen to you. And Bobby and I are 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 younger than the two of you. And Take a
3: minute.
0: Well, just, just, you sure? just a little nice. bit. Thanks a just a tiny little bit. <laughs> really? Come on. But I'm gonna give you a compliment here. You know, I will save myself here. But we, we, we are at an earlier stage in our career than the two of you. And it's exceptional for us to 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 learn some of the things that you're talking about. and uh, to see how, how it is that you've transitioned and how you've grown. So it's been a real, real pleasure for us to have been in this catbird seat here. And on behalf of everyone in the audience that have, that have listened to this, uh, and for those people that are going to be listening to the podcast uh, going forward, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.